Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have God's Word today, have the Bible, I want to ask you to take it with me and open it to 1 John chapter 5 for our, our morning's message and for our time together here today. If you've not been to Crosslink in a long time, or maybe this is the first time you've ever been here, we are right now going through a sermon series entitled More Than a Name more than a name. And what we're doing is we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of 1 John. In John's day, as he was writing this letter, he was writing to a church that was facing a lot of persecution. Not only were they facing persecution, they were facing a lot of false messages in the world around them. In fact, the false teachings in the world had begun to infiltrate the church, and as a result of that, there were teachers rising up in the church that were saying, you've got to do all this group of things, all these activities, and then you will know without a doubt that you're saved. And what John points us to loud and clear is this. Being a Christian is not about your religious works. Being a Christian is about a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith and not of works so that none of us may boast. And then out of that relationship with God, that relationship leads, it, leads us to changes in our life. And so John writes this letter so that we can know without a doubt that we are saved and we can know the basis of our salvation. It's all about a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. One of the key themes that we've seen throughout the entire book comes to a climactic moment in 1 John chapter five. And that is the theme of love. The bottom line is you can't talk much about Jesus Christ without talking about love. You can't claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, without experiencing and demonstrating love. And in 1 John chapter five, that's exactly what God is showing us this morning as I preach on the subject, the power of love. If you're physically able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Just five verses this morning. Listen to what the Bible says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse five. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for this time to be together today. Thank you for the opportunity to sing songs of praise to you and to fellowship with one another. God, I pray right now through the preaching of your word that you would speak to our hearts and lives. May your word be front and center. And I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would show it how it applies in our lives today, that we would be changed uh, by what you do in us and then as well that you would work through us to accomplish your purposes. We love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated this morning. The power of love. 
Long before Huey Lewis and the News sang about the power of love, God emphatically demonstrated for us what love really is. And he also demonstrated to us the power that his love has in our life. The Bible makes it loud and clear that God loves us. And the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen was take place when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That is perfect love. That is pure love. That is love that is sacrificial and it is faithful. It is unconditional. It is pure and it never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 looks at the perfect love of God and it describes it in this way. This love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And this love endures all things. This perfect love of God never fails. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. That's exactly right. So powerful is the love of God that in Romans chapter 8, Paul begins to give us a list of things that we face in life, trials and difficulties. And he gets to this conclusion of a moment to remind us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It doesn't matter if there are tribulations or trials, persecutions, worldwide famines or disease, dangers or swords, not death or life, not even angels or demons or no other power of this world is greater than the love of God. Verse 39 of Romans 8, Paul concludes it this way. There is no height nor depth nor any other created thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason why this type of love is so powerful is because God is the source. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, as we saw last week, that this love is from God. Why? Because God is love. It's his very nature of who he is. The question for us then is simple. Have we experienced the love of God? And are we walking in that love today? Have we experienced it and are we walking in it in the sense that we are applying it through our lives today? Well, as we look at the power of love in 1 John chapter 5, I want us to make two observations from the text. Two simple points today, but I believe there are things that we need to hear loud and clear and ultimately apply in our life. The first thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the process of love. Somebody said the word process. I don't know about you, but I don't like processes sometimes. Sometimes I wish you could just snap your finger, wave a wand, and everything be done for you. But there is a process that the Bible's describing here of love. And so I want us to look at this in verses one and the beginning of verse two and kind of recognize that there are a lot of times we know facts about things, we know facts about love, but that doesn't mean that we've actually embraced the process. What does that look like? Here's how it begins. It begins by experiencing God's love. This simple understanding of a process of love is since God is love, it begins with him. In order for us to apply it, we have to first experience it. One of the reasons why sometimes we have such a difficult time loving people unconditionally, regardless of what they've done, sacrificially putting their needs before us, faithfully, without any end, is because we haven't first experienced the love of God. We have to experience God's love. That's why in verse one it says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You and I experience the perfect love of God when we are born of God, or according to John chapter three, we are born again. The Bible makes it clear that God loves all people. 
regardless of, uh, of sex, male or female, regardless of race, regardless of your background, regardless of anything like that. God loves all people. John three sixteen. God so loved the world. Say that again. God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. There's not a single person you will ever meet that God does not love and that God did not already send his son Jesus to die on the cross for. God loves all, but that does not mean that all have experienced his love. John chapter three, the very context of that pastor scripture is the fact that there was a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was afraid of what others would think of him and his question. Nicodemus was a man of high moral integrity. He was a man who had a knowledge of the Old Testament. He was a man of influence that the Jews looked to as a leader in his day, and yet he knew in his heart and life something was missing. So he came to Jesus. He had heard Jesus talk about this kingdom of God. He had heard Jesus talk about eternal life, and Nicodemus knew as moral as he was and as knowledgeable as he was and as influential as he was, he was still lacking that what Jesus was talking about. So Nicodemus looked at Jesus and he asked him the question, how can I be a part of this kingdom of God? How can I know eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thought about it logically like a man will do. What do you mean I gotta be born again? I'm a grown man. You mean to tell me, how could I possibly crawl into my mother's womb to be born again? That's impossible. And Jesus looks at him in John chapter three, verses five and six and says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, time out. When Jesus talks about the physical birth or the the birth of water, he's talking about the physical birth. When you and I were conceived in our mother's womb, as God was literally forming us in our mother's womb, we understand biologically that we were surrounded by a sack of fluid. When the time neared for our delivery, our mother's water broke. And it might've been moments, it might've been hours, some God, God bless you ladies, it might have been days later, you came into the world. You were born, born of the Spirit the moment you confessed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. It might be that you're driving down the road listening to the radio. It might be that you're talking to someone at the gym. It might be that a neighbor's come and shared the gospel with you. It might be that you're watching a service online, but you hear the gospel and you understand in the gospel that you have sinned against God. You've fallen short of God's glory and the Holy Spirit begins to convince you that Jesus is the Savior. He is who he says he is. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. And so you confess, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. Please forgive me and save me. And in that moment of confession of faith, you are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. He comes to live within you and he begins to mold you and to shape you to make you a brand new creation. In order for you and I to understand this process of love, we have to understand it begins by experiencing God's love the very moment we say yes to Jesus. We understand that today. God has offered love, but we have to receive it by faith. Today in our culture today, we often, even still today, celebrate the love between a husband and a wife. A young couple meets and they begin to date and build a relationship. They begin to be convinced that they wanna spend their life together and maybe you've seen it at a restaurant or you've seen it at a ball game or God forbid you've turned on the Hallmark Channel and you've watched it there. 
But eventually you see a young guy and he gets down on his knee and he looks up into her eyes and he says, oh, I love you, sweetheart. And he, he pulls out a box and he opens it up and she says, let me see the ring. You know, and, uh, and he asks her, I love you, I want to spend the rest of my life. Will you marry me? And in that moment, there's an invitation, there's an offer, there's a, there's a pledge. He, he wants her to experience this. But she has to say, yes. She has to say, yes, I, I receive your love. Yes, I embrace it. Yes, I love you. It's an invitation that she has to respond to in the same way. God has offered love to all mankind. And frankly, even in Bible Belt, Virginia, sometimes people can go to church again and again and again and again and yet never have been born again. Because we are not saved by religious works or activities. We're saved simply by believing in Jesus and confessing him as the Lord of our life, saying yes to him. John chapter 1, 12 says it this way. As many as received him, Jesus, to them the Father gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You must receive Jesus Christ. That's how we experience God's love. But now that we experience God's love, remember it's a process. Not that we need another step to experience it, but as we experience God's love, God's love is not an a, a passive emotion. It's an active force within us. So it continues to work to produce some things in our life. So notice the second part of that process, and that is this. Not only do we experience God's love through salvation, but now we begin to express our love for God. Chapter five, verse one. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father. Now, this is not rocket science. This is so elementary and so simple, and yet we can't miss it. When you experience God's love through salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. The Bible says we are made partakers of the divine nature of God. One of the first ways it will manifest itself is this. We will begin to love God. I remember not too long ago hearing a testimony of a guy who for many years had professed to be an atheist. He completely denied the existence of God. But through a series of life situations and circumstances, through a series of seeking the truth, he heard the gospel. He became convicted of his sin. He repented and asked God to forgive him and save him. So he's gone from denying the existence of God to accepting the existence of God, now to asking God to save him. And one of the very first things God began to change in his life was this. The very one he used to say didn't exist, he now loved and was wanting to devote his life to. The Bible says loud and clear, if we have experienced the love of God, we're gonna to begin to express our love for God. The very nature of God is love, and a person who knows God and has been born of God will respond to God's nature. A believer will naturally practice love because that is the nature of God. So it's a natural response to his love within us. Let me illustrate that in a very simple way and, and maybe a, a painful way in some ways, but nonetheless, it, it's a true statement. When a child is born, there is a natural longing and urging from that child to love his or her father. That's why when children are born at a young age and they begin to grow and to develop, when they see their dad, they see the best in him. There's a trust in him. Because naturally, they are born in such a way with a desire to connect to and to express love for their father. And for that reason, there are many of us here today, we live our life in confidence in who we are, confidence in our skills and abilities and various things, 
Not only, but largely because along the way early on, we had a father who loved us, an earthly father who spent time with us, an earthly father who poured into us, an earthly father who affirmed us along the way. They spoke life into us. And at the same time, there are many of us today as grown adults who still struggle with some of those things. We don't have that confidence and assurance. In fact, when we begin to think back of our earthly father, it's a source of pain and hurt. And even when there can be forgiveness, there can at times be long-standing wounds. Because naturally you desire to love, naturally you desire to connect, but for whatever reason, there was a disconnect. Maybe that earthly father died at a young age. Maybe that earthly father violated our trust. Maybe that earthly father abandoned us along the way. But a child is born and naturally grows longing to express and experience that love. Well, can I say to you today, regardless of what your earthly father was or is like, the Bible tells us that for all who are in Christ, God is our heavenly father. Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Bible says that through the Holy Spirit, literally, he cries out within us, Abba, Father, reminding us that he's our father and we are his children. Can I just say to you, as hard as I might try, men, as hard as you might try, there is no earthly father like our heavenly father completely. Our heavenly father is so gracious and so patient. Even though we harden our hearts and rebel at times, he so graciously and patiently stands there ready for us to come back. Our heavenly father never leaves us or forsakes us. Our heavenly father always is there to provide for us. Our heavenly father always invites us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We go through the trials and the challenges of life. He is the one who stands there ready to be a refuge, a present help in our times of trouble. What I'm saying to you today is that when you experience the love of God, you can't help but to express your love back to him. But there's a third part of this process that we can't miss. This process is, yes, you experience the love of God. Yes, you express your love for God. I hope today through your songs and maybe through testimonies, through even the clapping of hands along the way that we can say, God, I love you. Through our service, we can do the same. But there's a third step of that process, and that is this. When we experience God's love, it should lead us to express our love for God, but it should also lead us to extend that love to others. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a, what's the word? That's a, that's a harsh word, but it's, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now look back at our text today. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. God, I, I sure love you, but loving them, that's another story. God, God, I sure love you because you've been so gracious and so good to me. You sent Jesus down the cross for me, but, but that person in church over there, but, but, but that neighbor that really challenges me along the way, but that preacher that's always stepping on my toes, I just, I don't know, all right? The Bible says if you have experienced the love of God, it should be evident by the way you express your love for God and by the way you extend that same love towards one another. After all, the very first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five is what? It's love. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It all begins with love. And sometimes I say, oh yeah, I love God, absolutely. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I go to church and I say, yeah, I sing the songs, yeah. But God says, but how are you loving others? First John chapter three, verse 16 says it this way. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me ask you a question. Oh, I love God, absolutely, I love Jesus. Let me ask you a question. In what ways... Are you demonstrating love for others in the body of Christ? Maybe more practically, in what ways are you serving others? In what ways are you putting the needs of others before yourself? In what ways are you living your life for the glory of God and the good of others and not for your own merit or will? God says if you love him, you're going to love others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, Paul looks at the church at Thessalonica. They had been serving well. They had been giving generously to bless others in need, even from a place of great sacrifice. They had been faithfully sharing the gospel with people all throughout the region at that time. And even in the midst of persecution, they were faithfully loving each other. And here's what Paul says. As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Can I just time out for a moment and say to you, Crosslink family, your love for God and love for others is a great blessing to me. I want you to hear loud and clear as one of your pastors here, your love for God and your love for one another is a tremendous blessing to me. But even more so, can I also say this to you? It is a powerful testimony to the community around us. This past week, I was making some phone calls and I called a lady who visited. To be perfectly honest, she had visited here a few weeks ago and I did not get a chance to meet her. She was just a, you know, just a name on a card and, and I knew nothing else about her, but I called to say thank you for being here. And she said, oh, Pastor Matt, I'm so glad you called. And she began to share with me how she learned about Crosslink and how she'd been watching online for a few months. And here's what she said. She said, please tell your people, thank you for praying for me. And I'm gonna be honest, I paused her for just a moment and I said, thank you for praying for you. And she said, she said, yes, she said, yes. She said, your community, the community groups at your church, and she named some specific community groups, they've been praying for me. And I said, well, when have they been praying for you? And she told me, this is the time, I thought it was a year ago. It was two years ago when her mother had tragically passed away unexpectedly. And she said, I was getting cards from people from that community group. They were sending me cards and some of them made phone calls and some of them sent emails. And then I remembered and put the connection together. Yes, we prayed, for our pastoral staff, we prayed for you on Mondays and we prayed for you on Thursdays. Yes, I remember you. What I'm saying to you is, Crosslink, you are loving God and loving one another well. And I wanna encourage you like Paul did with Thessalonica, excel still more. Keep growing on it. Don't grow cold in it. Don't lose heart in it. You may never know this side of heaven, the impact that your love for one another in this community is having, but for the glory of God and the good of others, keep on growing in it. We see this incredible process of love come to another statement in verse two. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. 
Now, if you're keeping record at home, watching online, or maybe just here kind of taking notes or something, I don't know about you, but it almost sounds redundant, right? Like this is the, I don't even know how many times yet, this is probably like the eighth time in these five chapters that once again we're hearing about love. New discovery, I'm like, all right, God, what's the new thing? What's the new thing? And it's like God's saying, no, 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 I want you to park here for a moment. Because what God is showing us is something interesting. When we experience God's love, we begin to express our love for him. We begin to express his love to others. And as we love others the way that we ought to, guess what? The more we see God at work. And the more we see God at work, the more we love him. It's like God is showing us a process, a cycle, loving God and loving others, loving God and loving others, loving God and loving others, loving God and loving others. And round and round we go until one day we stand before God and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. John Phillips said it this way, God wants us to get locked into the endless round of loving God and loving man, loving man and loving God. Round and round we go in a cycle which will continue throughout the endless ages of eternity. Belief puts us into the family and once we're in the family, the wondrous cycle begins, a cycle in which love is all in all, the process of love. But secondly, I want us to really focus in on this final point and that is this. I want you to see the promptings of love. See, it's, it's easy for us to talk a good game. It really is. It's easy for us to talk a good game, and it's easy for us to look the part. I'll never forget many years ago being a high school athlete, many, many, many moons ago being a high school athlete, and having the opportunity to go to a state tournament to play a basketball game, and we walked into a particular arena, to, to, to a court, and we saw a team that had all the gear. I mean, they had like all the really sweet warm-up stuff. We were a poor school from Montgomery, Alabama. We were not the big school that this team was. We didn't have any of the cool swag, okay? It's just how it was. And when they walked in, like immediately we were intimidated. In fact, on their team, I'll never forget, they had three guys that were, they were there's no way to say it, they were huge. They were tall, they were thick, and we all thought, we're gonna get killed, right? They looked the part, they walked apart and we were certain we were not gonna have a good outcome. That was until the ball actually tipped off. Once we got over the shock and awe of how big these guys were, we suddenly began to realize they weren't very coordinated. Turns out if you wanna be good in basketball, you've also gotta have speed and coordination, right? They were tall, but they couldn't shoot to save their life, right? And because and they were so big, it was easy to elbow them in the back. But anyway, that's another story. So. My point is, is you can look the part, you can act the part, but God says, listen, the proof is in the pudding. Let's examine some things here. If you truly have experienced God's love, it should prompt you to do some things. It should be evident in your life. And so what God is showing us here loud and clear is that his love prompts us forward in several areas in our life. Three things I want you to see. Number one, the promptings of love is that it prompts us to observe God's commandments. It prompts us to observe God's commandments. What does it say in verse two? By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Now, in the English language, when we use the word observe, it can lose a lot of meaning because the word observe in the English language just implies that you're watching. You're just sitting back and you're watching. But the picture here, men, is the idea, let's just kind of illustrate it for a moment. Let's say, men, you're sitting down, you're watching a game, and your wife comes in and says, hey, we need to talk. And you say, okay, 
And then she sits down on the couch and she says, no, we need to talk, right? What do you do in that moment, man? You turn the TV off and you turn your face to listen with your whole body, okay? Why? Because you know you need to pay careful attention. God is saying loud and clear, when you have been born of God, you've experienced the love of God, you're expressing it for him, you're extending it to others, and the evidence of that love is this, we will observe the word and the commandments of God. It means that we're gonna give careful attention to, we're literally gonna tune out distractions, we're gonna tune out the white noise, and we're gonna focus in because we know that we need God's word. We know that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Today, we live in a culture that is surrounded by white noise. Every 15 minutes, it seems, you turn on the news, there's a new headline, a new stock market issue, a new real estate issue, a new war somewhere, a new concern over here, a new political argument, a new health report. There's this new study. Every 15 minutes, there's some new thing And we get so caught up in this cycle of news and this cycle of all these things to do. And it's like God is saying, no, 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 time out, time out. It's not about those things. It's about me and it's about my word. And so what God is calling us to do is this, because we love him and because we love one another, we tune out the distractions and we take seriously the word of God. If we love God, we're not going to abandon his word. If we love God, we're not gonna rip the pages of his word out that we disagree with. If we love God, we're not going to twist it to make it easy for us. If we love God, we're not going to put his word on the shelf to collect dust, only to pick it up next Sunday when we gotta look a certain way. No, if you love God, you're gonna observe his commandments. I find it very interesting that every time in the Old Testament, God was doing something unique and specific amongst his people, it is always associated with this command to observe and be careful with his commandments. When God calls up Joshua and raises him up to lead the Israelites into the promised land, here's what God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse eight. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have success. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Listen, I know you don't have the game plan. I know you don't have all the instructions, but here's what you have. You've got me and you've got my word. Be careful to observe it. Be careful to do it. David, First Chronicles chapter 22, he's getting ready to die, but he's commissioning Solomon and the Israelites to build the temple of God. And here's what he says. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding, give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you're careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. So be strong and courageous, do not fear or be dismayed. Solomon, I know you're afraid. I know you don't think you're ready. Israelites, I know it's gonna be a new day, but here's what I've done. God has given you his word, observe it and be careful to do it and you'll be just fine. The promptings of love is that it leads us to observe the word of God, but not only to observe it, to do what? To obey it. Verse three, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The word keep simply means that we do them, we obey it. And God's commands are not burdensome. To some of us, maybe we look at God's commands as if they are burdensome, but when we realize that they're for his glory and for our good, we begin to realize 
His commands are actually a blessing to us. They're not a burden at all. They're meant for our good. Not a single word of command or instruction that you will find in the Bible was to harm us, but instead to make us whole and to bring glory and honor to him. So we've got to obey God's commands. Truth of the matter is today is that it can be very easy to give God lip service. 2021 Evangelical Church, it can be very easy to claim that we love God. We can say it. In fact, numerous times in this book of 1 John, John has brought us to that reality. If someone says this, then they need to examine this because what we say and how we practice that may be two very different things. We can claim to love God, but God is calling us to examine our actions. God is not looking at our love on the basis of our emotions. God is not looking at the expression of our love based upon how we sing on Sunday mornings. God's not looking and examining our love on the basis of our actions before men. He's simply looking to see if we're walking in obedience with him. It's easy on Sunday morning to come and sing songs and turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. It's easy on Sunday mornings to clap. It's easy to amen. It's easy at times to, to serve or to give or to keep an appearance in some way, shape, or form, but the question is, how are we living when we leave this gathering? We, we can all live a certain way when we're in front of each other. But how are we living when we're away from this gathering? See, see if we're claiming, yes, God, I love you, I love you, I love you. But we're leaving here and we're going right back into things that we know, sinful situations that we've been involved in that are not pleasing to God. Then something's wrong with our claim. God, God, I love you. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to please you. But if we're running into relationships that are not pleasing to God, we're running the websites that we know we have no part, we shouldn't have any part in. God, I love you. God, I want to serve you. But we're running right back to gossiping and criticizing and complaining and having a self-righteous attitude of judgment. God, I love you. I want to serve you. But we're running right back to business transactions that are crooked as they can be. God says there's something wrong with that claim. In fact, he tells us in verse 20, you've already said it, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, what I want us to see loud and clear is this. Our call to observe God's commands and obey them, our highest motivation is this. We should be motivated by our love for God. It is because we love God that we observe his commandments. It is because we love God that we walk in obedience. But can I say to you, there is also a second motivation for observing God's commandments and obeying them. And it's really simple, very practical, and that is this. Our second motivation to observe and obey God's commandments should be in the body of Christ, our love for one another. You know, Satan has a powerful way when you and I are faced with temptations and faced with choices to sin and go our own direction. Satan has a powerful way of getting us isolated, getting us separated and distant. Sometimes that isolation is literally physical. 
throughout the year of this pandemic and shutdowns and government restrictions, all the craziness that ensued, physically most of us were separated from each other. For some of us, that separation is not physical, but it's relational and at times even mental and emotional because physically we're in the same building, we're in the same room, but we're not really connected. And what I'm saying to you today is this. In those moments of separation and isolation, please understand, it is then that we are vulnerable to the enemy's attacks in a way unlike any other. Because in those moments when the enemy comes and tempts us, here's what he says. It's your life. It's your choice. You can do whatever you want to. You, you wanna experience that? Go ahead. You wanna taste that? Go ahead. You wanna go that route? Go ahead. It won't bring any consequence to anybody else. It's your life. Do what you wanna do. And whatever that is, the enemy makes it so appealing. But I wanna remind you of something. That message is a lie from Satan himself. I wanna remind you that the Bible says he's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He does not care about you. He simply wants to destroy you. God is showing us in this pastor's scripture that our love for him and our love for others should motivate us to obedience. Why? Because when you and I choose to go our own path in our own direction, it impacts many others. Our sinful choices can bring reproach on the name of Christ, pain on the body of Christ, and shame on those closest to us. Now, let me illustrate that. Can we just have a family conversation today? Is that all right? I don't know how you do it in your family, but I can tell you that in my family, every so often I'll say, all right, family meeting, family talk in the living room. Everybody comes to the living room and the kids are all watching dad's body language. Is it serious or is it lighthearted? Did somebody die or is he talking about summer vacation? You know, like what's going on here? And they're all kind of nervous and looking around like where's dad going with this conversation? The enemy says, do what you want to. It's all about your pleasure. It won't affect anybody else, but it's a lie. And let me illustrate that. Many of you have heard me talk about my upbringing. I grew up in Alabama. You've heard me talk about how on my dad's side of the family, there's a long generation of people who faithfully serve the Lord. That's a true statement. I haven't talked about this publicly from the pulpit before. Our pastor's council knows, our staff knows, a lot of our deacons know, um, people who are in our community group, they know, many close friends know, but I haven't talked about this on a Sunday. I grew up in a pastor's home, and frankly, my dad was a very, very, very gifted communicator. Um, I've often said that, you know, if I had just a tenth of his ability in communication, I'd be doing all right. I'm just a phenomenal communicator. And his ability to communicate by the time I was 12, 13, 14 years old uh, got him involved in politics in the state of Alabama. And frankly, by the time I was a teenager, he was almost never home. 
He was always traveling and speaking somewhere. In fact, when I would show up at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because we had church three times a week. The rest of you ungodly people don't do that three times a week, but we did, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Three times a week, I would show up and he'd be in the pulpit and that'd be the only time I'd see him that week, right? Uh, that brought a lot of bitterness and resentment in my life, but what I want you to hear is he lived his life in such a way that he began to distance himself from his family. He was a pastor. He started the church when I was a year old. When I was five years old, he started a Christian school. And both the ministries were growing and blossoming and doing wonderful things. But along the way, in his isolation, he also began to distance himself from brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. He would show up when he had to, perform when he had to, put on a mask when he had to, but he was not connected with anyone. There was no system of either encouragement or accountability in his life. And so he began to distance himself and isolate from people. In the midst of that, it's probably not surprising to find that he also became very cold in his fellowship and relationship with God. You can see where this is going, can't you? Of course, I graduate high school, go to college at Liberty, and I tell people all the time, I wasn't born in Virginia, but I got here as quickly as I could. I've been here ever since, right? But somewhere along the way, my dad was tempted to do some things that he knew he shouldn't. And frankly, he was isolated. He wasn't concerned about his family. He wasn't concerned about the church that God had used him to start and the family of God. Frankly, he was so cold in his fellowship with God, it was an easy choice. He chose himself and he chose his sin. And he continued to sin, and he continued to sin, and he continued to sin, and he continued to sin until 2015 when the truth slowly began to come out. And by the way, I wanna remind you what you think you're doing behind closed doors, nobody else knows, God knows, and it will come out. Be sure your sins will find you out. God said it, not me. And it began to come out that he had been living basically a lie for a long time, a long time. And I watched and walked through firsthand what someone's sinful actions can do to others. Can I just say to you, as a firstborn son, when you are called to go to the church that your father founded, to go through his office and clean out his junk, that's a very sobering experience. When you start to see literally in your hands the evidence of the life he professed and the life he was actually living, um, as a grown man, it's still really hard to process. On one hand, it disgusted me. On the other hand, it grieved me. On the other hand, it just broke me. The shame that sin brought on our family was, was overwhelming. When that same church calls you into a leadership meeting to pray with their leaders and to counsel them, you start to get a taste of the pain that that type of action causes. And frankly, when you begin to talk with people in the community, it doesn't take long before you realize 
That sinful action that the enemy said, hey, you do you, live for your pleasure, do what you wanna do, and it's not gonna affect anybody else, it is a lie from the pit of hell. It brings reproach in the name of Christ, it brings pain to the body of Christ, and it brings shame on those closest to you. So pastor, why do you share that? I share that because in our own family of believers here, we've had brothers and sisters who claim to love God, worship God, serve God here, who are no longer with us. And I'm not being harsh or judgmental, but those selfish actions of sin that each of us are capable of, in those moments we make those decisions, we are demonstrating that we love self more than we love others and more than we love God. That's what we're demonstrating. But I wanna give you a final word and then we'll close our time together here today. So, man, man Pastor, that's, that's, that's heavy, right? Like, I, what do I do with that? How, I live in the world too. I, I, I'm flesh and blood just like your dad and just like those that are no longer with us and have gone the wrong direction. And is there any hope? Like, how, how can I move forward? I wanna remind you that there is still victory and there is deliverance and there is forgiveness and there is hope because of the very next statement, verse four. For whatever is born of God, key word, is not defeated, not wallows in their misery, not stays in their fallen state, but overcomes the world. And this is the victory, our good works, no. And this is the victory, our amazing ability. No, this is the victory, our self-will and get to itness. No, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's about you and I putting our faith in Jesus Christ and continuing to live for him, continuing to look to him, continuing to trust in him, continuing to live for him and not for ourselves. Maybe say it this way, Hebrews chapter 11. I wasn't planning to share this passage of scripture this morning, so it's not gonna be on the screen today. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us about a man by the name of Moses. This is the great hall of faith, right? These are all the people who live by incredible faith. And the Bible tells us interesting about a guy named Moses being raised in Egypt. All the pleasures of the entire ancient world were available to Moses as he was being raised in the palace in Egypt. Listen to what the Bible says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, listen to this, rather to endure the ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Can I just say to you this morning, if you're dabbling in things that you know as a child of God, you have no business with. If you're being tended by things, oh, this is just a moment of pleasure, nobody ever knows. God says it is a temporary passing pleasure. It will leave you empty and it will rob you of joy. Quit buying into the lie. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasure of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Verse 27, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You know what the Bible's saying? Moses was more concerned about loving God and living for him. For the treasures of knowing God than he was the pleasures of continuing in sin. Here's my question 
It's really simple. Such a simple message, but we can get it so messed up, can't we? Do you love God? And do you love others? Today, if you are turning to things and dabbling with things that you know you have no business turning to, I want to remind you, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can forgive you, he can cleanse you, he can deliver you, and he can set you free. Can I just say to you, the alternative to that is to keep going the way you're going. And if you keep going the way you're going, you're gonna find, just like my father, unfortunately, Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's true. It will. But you can repent and you can return and experience His grace and forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and and you're a believer, you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but maybe the message you need to hear today is not one of conviction because you're not in that place where you've where you've gone the wrong direction, not in the place where you're dabbling in things that you shouldn't. But frankly, in this season of life, you've gotten very disconnected. You're not in fellowship with other believers. You're not in communion with other believers. And as a result of that, you, you know, you sense the distance, you sense the coldness, and you know in your spirit that you're in a vulnerable place right now spiritually. If that's you today, that you're watching online or here in person, I would encourage you today to ask God to forgive you and to commit today to getting involved in community. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. It's like God's warning sign to you right now. Warning, warning, warning. Now's the time to act. And finally, maybe you're here today and you think about loving others and expressing that unconditional sacrificial love to others. Maybe you're today realizing, you know what? That process of love begins with that simple step, experiencing God's love. Maybe you've never experienced it by believing in Jesus. If that's you today, I invite you to to say yes to Christ today. The power of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you work in our hearts and lives. I pray, God, that you would show us now what you'd have us to do. You, You never give us your word so that our ears would be tickled, but so that you would lead us to action of faith and of obedience. And so God, I pray today that will be true in each of our lives and that you alone would get the glory and praise for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.